You are now tuned in on Radio Free Podcast. The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. We've been going through a series on how to prepare the body of Christ for hearing the voice of God. We will continue to develop this as we go through 1st and 2nd John, along with some other passages. But today we're kind of doing a summary of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 of 1st John. And the specific topic for today is slow fade. Now when we think of the idea of a slow fade, what are some of the things that come to your mind? The key point we need to understand at this point is you cannot have a slow fade without light and darkness present. Now I want to show you an example as I was preparing for the message. I believe that the Lord was telling me to bring one of my latest pastels because in the process of making this pastel, uh, there were many, many moments of frustration. Uh, this past week I took five pastel lessons because I wanted to master this new look and so I'm literally have one on the board this morning of Paul and I'm doing the exact same method that I was taught this past week and all three of the artists said the first thing you must add is darkness and then you build from the darkest colors to the lightest colors and of course your highlights are going to be the very last thing that you add. Darkness and light is a actual message of the gospel. And in the process of trying to find the balance between darkness and light is where true art expression catches the eye. Now, if you think about it, the very basis of the foundation of the world is darkness. You may not go through your day every single day thinking about darkness. Last week we talked about witchcraft. How easy it is for believers to fall into witchcraft. Witchcraft is the process of application of darkness. That's where black magic comes from. The darker side comes from all these terms that we use today comes from this idea of witchcraft. The world itself is stained by this uh, crafty being that paints the world with darkness. Jesus comes and the painting comes back to his studio. He doesn't take our flesh away from us. He certainly crucifies the old nature, which was empowered and trapped by darkness. He leaves the flesh in there, the ramifications of the old nature, 
the warlock, the craftiness of darkness, and he leaves it within our mortal soul. And so this painting goes on Jesus' easel. And if you do not apply the, the highlights of light, then as I was showing earlier this week, I had two pastels up on the board. I had this one still hanging there. And then I had another one called the healing, which was designed purposely not to have a lot of highlights in it. And Cindy, what did you say is the big difference as you were looking at the two pastels? Well, the healing had a lot less depth. Um, It was a lot less contrast, um, not nearly as striking or as, I don't want to say professional looking, but I mean, it almost looked like a, a first draft. Yeah. Compared to and it was a finished product. The Lord showed me having those two pieces up there for a couple of weeks. The Lord showed me a lesson for my own soul. He literally opened the door for me to understand what I am really gifted at as an artist. That I have been settling for pretty decent pastels, but they were not stunning. They were not catching people's eye like I was hoping that they would. And then to have this piece catch someone's attention to say, you might have a gallery piece on your hands. I wanted to know what what the difference was. I decided to keep this piece because originally it was put on auction. But I decided to keep this piece because of the labor I went through and capturing the highlights. Now, every piece I do from this day forward is going to show more and more skill because of lessons I'm taking and, you know, lessons I learn by trying different things and whatever. Really, the only thing that is making Peter stand out here is, one, he's looking toward his Savior or God the Father. And two, he's shining himself upon Peter. That's really the bottom line to this particular piece of art. Something's causing Peter to appeal to the Lord, and the Lord is shining upon him. This is what John is bringing out in his his, uh, first letter. To us. We just read the verses, do not love the world. Well, the world is actually translated there in the Greek as creation. Creation itself is not bad, right? When we look at the creation of the earth and we keep it with the analogy of a canvas, how did it start? It was a dark slate. And then he would speak the word and more and more light was being applied to this dark canvas. Leading all the way up to this, Jesus is light. 
The light of the world came to us and became our advocate. These are all terms we have been using in our study the past several months. The painting has come back to Jesus and he is highlighting an endless amount of work that he has applied to this piece of art. His very creation of his masterpiece, which is us, the Bride of Christ, are literally to be what is to be hung in the gallery to draw the attention of dark people of witchcraft and to see something very different than the one hanging next to it. And then there's this thing that people do at art galleries, and I like watching the people in art galleries because you have two different kinds of people. People who just move by a piece of work that may have taken years for some masters to finish. They don't take in the details, they don't you know, do this interpretation thing. What really is this artist trying to communicate? They just kind of nod their head, point, and keep on walking. But every once in a while when you're watching someone, they, they get stopped in their tracks by a piece of art. And it's screaming to them. And you see them get as close as they let you get to this painting. You start checking the strokes of the brush. You start checking all these tiny little details. And then they do my favorite little gesture. They back up 10 feet. And the mind fills in the details. If you look up close on any piece of art, it's pretty ugly. You see the flaws, you see the transitions that are, you know, obvious transitions and whatever. But when you back up a minimum of 10 feet, your mind fills in all those details from darkness to light. And then your mind starts focusing on your favorite pieces of that expression. That is Christianity. That is indwelt Christianity. If people get really close to us, they're going to see our flaws. And they may pick apart the painting because of the flaws. Yeah, but if you use this technique, it could have this and it, you know, and they start piecing it down, which is called rude. Destroying the art, destroying the master's work. Instead of stepping back and taking a full view of that, that expression and letting the mind fill in the details. And that's how abstract art was formed and designed and made to be very popular in the world today. With abstract art, you have to step way back to be able to capture the image that supposedly is in your mind. Abstract art is the physical symbol 
of the pluralistic church today. You're not quite sure what it is. You're not quite sure what the artist is communicating. And it's up for self-interpretation. This is not up for self-interpretation. This interprets one thing. I'll bet you that's a disciple and he's talking to God. And God is shining upon him. What are these keys? That creates curiosity, leads you back to the work. It's a single message. So I want us to step back in regard to this statement where John is saying, do not love the world. And if you piece it down, the world itself is not a bad thing. It's God's creation. He even is so bold to go on a little bit farther when he says, and those who do love the world... What? And since Jesus is love, God is love, God does not dwell within them. So there's a little bit of a possible hint of hypocrisy here. Unless you step back from John's expression... And you let the mind of Christ fill in the details. You'll understand that the world was created on a black canvas. And all of the pieces, the layers that the Lord put into this creation. We have our seven days of creation. He finishes it off with the creation of man, which is ultimately going to become the bride of his son which is ultimately going to become the highlights on this final piece of work. When we look at the book of Revelation, which we will do later on, unbelievable statements of light. Everywhere. From angels to Jesus to the throne to the holy city. to It just goes on and on and on and on about light. So light and shadows is what makes the difference between salvation indwelt, knowing him, and not knowing him. Hiding your shadows is the worst thing that you can do in a piece of expression. It'll be okay, but it won't be striking. So God leaves the flesh inside of our mortal bodies. That is leaving darkness, traces of darkness inside our mortal body. And then he basically says, don't focus on darkness, but focus on the light and you'll get the message. That's what I learned this week from three artists. The message is in the light. It's not in the darkness. You let the darkness just do its thing. But your layers on top of that dark canvas is what communicates the message. So when we talked about God is light, the Greek for God is light is shining upon to manifest. Now my objective was to put the light there so it manifests 
a message. Now, it should draw the person to the canvas because there is no way you'll pick up the subliminals. No way. Unless your face is right on the canvas. And there's two subliminals in this picture of tears rolling down Peter's cheek. He is not just wondering if the Lord is going to speak to him. He is agonizing over something. He's appealing to God out of sorrow and hurt, pain, wanting to know something from the God of light. We also talked about Jesus as the word, and he came upon us first, and then indwelt us as the word. Well, the Greek there is divine expression through doctrinal intent. I may sound like, you know, I'm down on typical salvation experiences. I probably am. But my objective in leading people to Christ is not so that they feel the love of God. If they're hurt and wounded and all the stuff that comes with darkness and what they contributed to darkness to make them feel shamed and in need of salvation and need of a savior and whatever, I say that's the dark canvas. Let it do what it's supposed to do. But see, my objective in leading people to the indwelling life of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with making you feel love, accepted, and forgiven. Those are the layers you put on the canvas. My objective is for you to hear the voice of God, which is represented in you as Jesus Christ, whom he said is represented by the Holy Spirit. For divine expression, I as an artist am called online an expressionist. It's a perfect word because it is original. It is from the original Greek. This is God putting the God of light. He's put the dark canvas there. He's added the layers of light to bring to this final point of coming back to the gallery and he adds this splash of light that is makes the difference between a wannabe Christian and a real one. It's the light. This divine expression is for doctrinal intent. It's for Christ in you to speak doctrines. You to hear the doctrines internally. So you speak them. But see, we live in a world today that salvation is about lovey-dovey, feeling accepted, Jesus will never reject you, and we, we say all this stuff, and they do go through some kind of salvation experience, and they turn into the most selfish People on the face of the earth. 
Immorality is already statistically proven is higher amongst Christians than unbelievers. We divorce more than unbelievers. Unbelievers are more kind than Christians. Christians carry picket signs. And they say very hateful things that don't seem to match their personal beliefs. We are rude. We are destructive. We are opinionated. And we are damaging the light and life of Jesus Christ. And we are. So something has happened to what true Christianity is today. Long gone are the days when an indwell believer would walk into the room. And if you have not experienced this, then I really do actually feel bad for you. But there was a day when born-again, indwell believers would walk into the room and something very unique would happen. The attention is drawn to that person. Light, darkness. It's the starting point of God's final creation. Walking into a dark room chases away. This is just science. Light comes into a room and darkness leaves. The other beautiful thing is, is light always creates shadows. And as two of the artists said this week, master the shadows. So all of the, the lines that are layered is to create the shadow that gives what Cindy picked up in the gallery this week is the shadows. You can't just put the light, but you have to add the result of what light does when you put it on something, and that is it creates shadows. Shadows creates depth. Well, how is that different in Christianity? We need to walk into dark places. We need to be willing to cast the light, and it will cast shadows. The dangerous part of darkness will leave the room. It's a promise. But there will still be shadows casted because there's dark people in the room. That's the principle. And God in his justness has decided to leave this dynamic in the world today. But the world today has become abstract and we want everything to just kind of blend Very few artists put depth in abstracts. They're flat images, they call them. And they let your mind create the depth. I say boring. What's going to capture my attention in in a gallery is, is a painting on the wall that the light itself is drawing me over to check that painting out. That's depth. Message, light, and darkness. Because each one of those communicates without a word being spoken. 
Then we also talked about his life was manifested. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, is that his very life became manifested for us. So here's God saying, you know, the only way to get this message concluded is I'm going to have to show up on earth as the living God. Because these people aren't going to believe it because they're into this thing called seeing is believing. So that's what he does. God shows up in fleshly form and he manifests himself, which in the Greek in that passage is rendered apparent. So he came and he said, I just want to render this picture for you. And I'm going to make it very appearance-oriented. Look. Listen. Watch. So you believe. How many of us go through life today where we basically are telling God to prove himself to us? Most of us do. Because we're still stuck in this modality of saying to God, I don't believe unless you show me. So now after Jesus ascended, everything was done by faith and without sight. Up to Jesus' ascension, everything was done by sight and no faith. Well, Jesus knew that, so he knew when the the Holy Spirit was to descend upon his people that he would fill up that vessel with the faith of himself. So now the faith that we have to believe in things unseen is done by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself up for me. Anyone who claims to have faith You are a religious freak. It takes worldly, fleshly faith to have religions. It is not of God. The only God that is on the other end of your religion is the Antichrist, which is what we will begin to discuss next week. And a lot of people are thinking, wow, we're going to have, finally, we're going to have a little talk about the Antichrist. But I'm warning you today that there are listeners who say they are born again believers, but they're serving the Antichrist. And it is done by what John is addressing, not just this passage, but in his writing saying, don't Tell me that God lives inside you and you abort babies. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me God lives inside you and you carry picket signs that you hate liberals. See, he's saying, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So see, this problem didn't start with Margaret Sanger. This problem started immediately when Jesus ascended. The enemy moved in quickly to get these these new 
little children, which actually translates out as new converts, they immediately began to be hit with this deception of hanging on to their individual beliefs while they claim to have God living inside them. And John's coming along going, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. So it's going to affect more of us than just the witchcraft people that wear dark robes. You'll have to look at how much witchcraft are you participating in as a believer. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Some of you have translations. Numbers 14, 18 is where it's at. Some of you have the translation of divination. You just have to look at the Hebrew words in there. Is divination is the crafting of darkness. And it's not a very long walk in the park to connect to who is the master of darkness. We also talked about walking in the light, which is translated in the Greek there as walking by way of manifestations. That's not how I interpreted walking in light. I interpreted walking in light as walking and following Jesus. That is the number one phrase that is used in Christianity today is to be a follower of Jesus. That's how walking in light is usually interpreted by people. That is not what it means. It means what John is talking about, and that is a manifestation. You don't just hear the voice of the Lord. You hear the voice of the Lord, and you release the Holy Spirit within you, and you may be laying hands on someone in the room before you know it, and there's healing, or there's emotional recovery, or there's whatever as a result of that manifestation. What in God's name is the reason for you being a born-again believer? So you can work all your life and get to the end and say, I believed? I think you might have a wake-up call on the other side. You were redeemed, made alive, and the highlights applied to this master's work for one simple reason. To reveal the doctrines, the divine doctrines of the living God. It just so happens he does love you. He does accept you and he does forgive you. So those aren't issues in your life. So that he can proclaim his doctrines. Quiet Christians are my greatest concern for salvation. I don't get it. I tell it to the Lord all the time. I tell it to my wife all the time. I don't get it. Why people can keep their mouth shut. I don't get it. I am compelled to speak the truth, whether we are talking to someone at Wendy's or whether we're talking. I am compelled To first get through the niceties, as I said to Shannon and Wendy's this week, it's time to go for the juggler. Or why are we here? Why are we meeting with this person? Now, everyone, listeners, listen carefully. 
the word says, Paul made it very clear that everyone should seek what? Prophecy. In fact, it's written in such a way that Paul is writing to say that piece you should already have figured out. Then he goes on to talk about the spiritual gifts. He, so he's saying love, that's the big one. Number two, he brings out of the shoot, everyone should desire prophecy. Three, let me give you a few points of how that's worked out. That's the message of the spiritual gifts. It's to be birthed from prophecy. Prophecy is what motivates you to separate darkness from light. Or your picture is boring to the world. We talked about Christ as the advocate, which means intercessor, consoler, and comforter. So as you're being slapped for operating your spiritual gifts out of prophecy, he will intercede for you, he will console you, and he will comfort you. We also talked about Jesus is the propitiation, which is atonement, redemption, redressing someone. I love that word, because that's what we're talking about. Redressing it. Putting new onto it while preserving the original painter and his identity. That's exactly what Christ did for us. We also talked about his commandments. He is the new commandment, which means an authoritative prescription, which is writing out an order, giving it to you, for your healing. And it's done in authoritative fashion, not as a suggestion. And that's the key you need to remember when we talk about he is the new commandment. This is not a suggestion. He's not the new suggestion. He's not the new idea. He's not the new Jesus of this millennial. He is an authoritative person that says, I'm going to write and you're going to do it. Is that not what John has been writing about? I write it, you do it. No questions, just do it. So the enemy comes along and says, well, you know, we got to get rid of this authority thing. we got to let everyone interpret the image as they want. Well, how well has that worked for our world? Yeah, we may have one God, finally. And all these paths are leading to this one God. As I said to a guru from India, are you really asking the question, who and what God is at the top of that mountain of yours that all these paths go to? He's called the Antichrist. And there's another mountain sitting next to it. And there's only one pathway up that mountain. And you can't even get through the gate at the bottom of that pathway without a prescription. It's something you have to do to even get on the pathway to walk to the top of the mountain to see with your own eyes 
the God of light. Well, she said, we'll have to agree to disagree. You just heard the truth but refused to act upon it. That is an idiot. But you see, darkness deceives and it covers. That's why oppression comes from the word darkness. There's darkness that's moved into the room and it's clouding your vision. You can't see anymore. We need to be people of light. We need to be people of life. And then we talked about to know him, which means to be resolved, can speak without shaking, be sure, and understand. Why in the world would they stick in there speak without shaking? Fear is the darkest edge of deception. You see, the dark black at the top of this picture is what's most important besides the light. And when you add your highlights, they need to be close to the darkest place to get it to jump out. Right? That's the principle we're talking about right here. Fear is like this paralyzing edge of darkness that you seem like you just can never get through. To truly know him is to speak the truth, light, without shaking, hesitation, fear. Then we talked about a liar, which means a falsifier, one who doesn't act upon stated belief. That's kind of a duh. And John finishes his little, his little writing, even though he didn't break up his letters like we do in the Bible, but he does conclude this portion of his passage by saying, I am writing to you, little children, freshly converts, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. It's not for your name's sake. If it's for our name's sake, we're buying into the post-truth salvation story. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus, you know, it's all about you. It's for his name's sake. Is it a comforting thought to know you're forgiven? I think that's John's point. Little children, this is elementary. You have already been forgiven. For his name's sake. Not yours. It is totally backwards today. And I hope our listeners really stay with us on this. Because we're going to walk right into those dark places on that canvas. And the deeper, the darker it is. The more it will be a benefit For the light. And on the new canvas piece I'm working on, two of these online teachers said how to put the pastel on, get a sponge, soak it up, 
and just massage that dark chalk into the paper. I've never had dark pastels as dark as I've got now. One tiny little technique. Well, I could get a spiritual principle to you today on that one of the enemy just wetting your appetite and rubbing the darkness in that it penetrates every fiber of your thinking so that you love the world and you do not resist the flesh and that you become boastful of the pride of life. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.